0: Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey, everyone. This is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. And I am joined by a couple of employees of Golder Associates, uh, Brett Timmis and Chris Lee, and they recently presented a paper at the Tailings and Mine Waste Conference on self-healing potential of sulfitic paste backfill, and I thought it was pretty intriguing and and very worth the conversation. And uh, Chris, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good, good. Yeah. And Brett, how about yourself?
1: Yep. Doing great. Thanks.
0: Good. Yeah. And we're uh, recording this during the global pandemic and hopefully you're all holding up as well as could be expected.
2: Yeah, actually things are okay for me. It's been a lot tougher for a lot of other people, but, uh, but we're, we're getting by as best we can.
0: I think in general... Canada is responding to this pandemic much better than many other countries including mine. So Chris why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself introduce you and in, introduce yourself to the listeners a little you know background and university uh your
2: career. Okay. Uh, so so I've uh, been with Golder for over 20 years uh I graduated from Queens in 1994 with uh, degrees in mechanical and, and mining engineering. Uh, and for a lot of my career I've I've been in the the paste backfill or or uh, or tailings dewatering and disposal uh, field. Um, and uh, essentially uh, paste backfill is is taking the tailings from a from a mine, and dewatering them, mixing them with cement and placing them underground as structural fill to assist in the in the extraction of of ore, um, so it's a it used to be when I first joined Golder, kind of a a cutting edge uh, sort of technology, and not a lot of mines were using it. Now it's really become, I would say, the the standard practice. Uh, the majority of backfill systems we see out there are our uh, pace backfill systems. Um, it has a lot of advantages. It's a uh, you know, it's it, it. It takes the mine waste and encapsulates it, it in cement, and puts it underground. And it really is the I would say the best available technology for getting rid of tailings, as well as providing uh, useful uh, useful support to the the actual extraction of ore. Um, so there's a lot you know good about uh, Backfill. and I'm kind of happy to be in this industry because in the mining industry, it's one of the more synergistic and, and holistic, uh, not to use too many words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that provides a bunch of benefits, um, you know, both from the tailings disposal side and from the supporting of mining side. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. It's, there's, there's a lot of interesting work being done in backfill. Um, it's, a, it's a big part of the, the mining costs and importance to the, the overall mining cycle. Uh, so so and this project in particular uh, or this this issue that we're talking about is uh, is kind of a, an interesting uh, part of the, the whole equation of disposing of, of tailings as space backfill
0: yeah that's that's always been a very intriguing way of, of uh, putting your tailings to good use I know there's still some cemented rock backfill operations in place but some of them are even looking at the uh, cemented paste backfill, so I'm, I find that pretty encouraging.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's reasons to use uh, cemented rock fill, um, but certainly if you can if you can find a way to use paste, there's a bunch of environmental benefits and and a lot of times cost benefits and and filling uh, reducing the filling cycle time uh, benefits that uh, that really are pushing most of most of the mines that we see opening today or even. Existing mines, I would say eighty percent end up going with uh, with paste backfill.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, very interesting. And Brett, how about yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education, that type of thing.
1: Sure. So um, I've been with Golder for uh, five years as a uh, as a geochemist. And prior to that, I uh, did undergraduate and master's degrees in geology at Lakehead University with a focus in aqueous geochemistry and acid rock drainage and, and really looking at how to, to manage acid rock drainage from, from an environmental perspective, um, which is really all about sustainable mining. How can, how can mining operations carry out their work in, in a sustainable way? And um, and so in the last five years working with Goulder, I've, uh, I've applied that academic experience to the characterization of, uh, of mine wastes and uh, the potential for acid rock drainage and uh, and looking at how that affects, affects water quality at mine sites and taking that into uh, to predictive modeling of, of potential seepage quality and potential surface water quality as a result of acid rock drainage. So... You know, we've heard a lot more in, in the public realm in recent years about the impacts of, of mining on water. And so it's, it's also a g- great growth area where there's a lot of discussion going on about how to sustainably uh, manage mining operations to, to be protective of water quality. Um, and this project was a really exciting opportunity to be able to apply those skills in a slightly different way to, to work with my colleague Chris and, and his colleagues in the PACE team to apply characterization of, of mine waste to, um, to the behavior of those materials as a paste rather than in an underground setting, rather than um, when in a surficial deposit, which we would expect to, to potentially have impacts to water quality. So a little bit different application, but applying those same considerations around, uh, around mineralogy and uh, geochemical behavior of mine waste.
0: Yeah, that's great. And is this the first time you two teamed up on a project?
2: Yeah, yeah, actually this was the first time.
0: Oh, okay. It's it's nice when team members can come together and, and discover a whole new set of tools and, and apply them like that. And I should imagine you'd be working together on lots of projects similar to this in the future.
2: Yeah, it's nice to have you know the the, the specialist resources at your disposal. Uh, you know, not, not every company has geochemists around that can look at, uh, at this stuff because it's, it's, you know, the geochemistry is far beyond my, my capacity or my background to, to get into in any, any detail. So, so that, that is one of the, the great things about, uh, about the company is that uh, we have these, these specialists that maybe you don't need them every day, uh, but when you need a, a geochemist or some other specialty, you can draw on them and solve whatever problem it is that you're, you're looking at.
0: Yeah, I certainly uh, share that sentiment. And when you do need a geochemist, you need them very badly. And so it's, it's nice that uh, you have that sort of talent at your fingertips. So why don't, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Golder? What, uh how big they are, that, that type of thing, what kind of services, what markets you're in?
2: Uh, so we're over 7,000 people. Uh, we've been in business since the, the 60s. Uh, I guess we're classified as an earth and environmental firm. We've got lots of, of geotechnical and rock mechanics and environmental and a lot of the, a lot of the engineering and, and scientists work related to, to earth. Um, you know, we, we have a big presence in mining, a uh, big presence in, in uh, municipal and uh, in industry. Uh, in oil and gas, um, so we're we're spread across a lot of a lot of sectors, uh, and really, you know, we are I guess uh, in in many areas we're we're specialists. You know, we we do a lot of of specialist work, uh, the more the more complicated problems to solve, uh, like uh, you know like this particular problem, uh, problems that that rely on specialist capabilities that are not necessarily available in every in every company. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a uh, you know a, a company that's been going strong for uh, for many years and and has a I guess a a bunch of areas of expertise that like like backfill like base backfill that uh, we've uh, we've been at the forefront in the in the industry for for many years.
0: Yeah, that's that's terrific. That's, that's really terrific. So why don't we talk a little bit about the the paper that you presented at Tailings and Mine Oh, f- first of all. Let's just talk about the conference because this is the first time it was a virtual conference and um, Brett why don't you tell us what you thought about the conference did it did it go well? Was it something that should be repeated in the future or or what did you think about it?
1: Sure. So I thought it was I thought it was very well run. Um, they had a team of uh, of technical uh, staff behind the scenes who who you know they're they're hired to do this type of thing, and they clearly had a, a clear idea of how to run a conference in this format. And and so I thought it was it was well put together. It was great to um, be able to uh, attend uh, different sessions of interest, and you know as as it fits with your schedule as well. Um, Certainly certain, you know, it was a little bit harder. There was some efforts around uh, around networking, but a little bit harder to do some of those things without uh, without being able to have that face to face contact and, you know, judging body body language the way you do when you're at a conference and and speaking with people, but um, there was I think there was a a great opportunity for access for people who might not have otherwise been able to attend the conference and so I would hope in future conferences that we you know look at some opportunities to for people who who can't make it in person to still be able to uh, benefit from the materials presented at the conference Uh, but I certainly look forward to in the future being able to get back out there and uh, really make those those connections that that are just harder to make without a a face-to-face situation.
0: Yeah, good, good. I, I was one of the people that couldn't attend. I was out in the field during that time. They they had uh, simultaneous sessions also, did they?
1: Yeah, I think during each time block there was three uh three different presentation blocks that were being run where they had grouped in for example in my session there was a a geochemistry session and and there was four of us presenting in that in that time block Um, but concurrently there was sessions on, on other areas of technical interest and and of course a conference like tailings and mine waste is inherently multidisciplinary and so there's, there's a lot of different subject areas of interest going on some of which I I listened into and uh, you know learned new things and also had it <laughs> wasn't entirely clear on some of the uh, some of the subject areas that were were new to me um, but it was great to get that exposure to to different topics
0: yeah there's always some really high quality talks and, and speakers that are at that conference it's almost always uh, well worth the uh, time and, and uh, expenses to attend that. So well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the paper. I'm kind of uh, curious about what would inspire somebody to look into the self-heating potential of sulfitic uh, paste backfill. What, what brought that thought on in the first place?
2: Well, I can answer that. Uh, so, so essentially it came from a project, uh, you know, working uh, for, for Valley on the Voices Bay project uh, they'd had some studies done uh, previously that, uh, that looked at the potential for, for self-heating and what the impact uh, was on, on the mining and what the mitigation measures required would be. And uh, essentially, the, uh, the the tailings at Boises Bay contain a lot of pyrotite, which is one of the most reactive uh, minerals that uh, has been well documented to 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 burn for years if the right conditions are are present and and by burn I mean there there's a geochemical exothermic reaction that um, that starts off requiring uh, oxygen and and water but can progress to to levels at certain temperatures where it doesn't even need uh, oxygen and it'll just uh, continue to to produce heat uh, which is you can imagine uh, underground in an enclosed area Uh, the the heat produced the off-gassing is is a big problem and Mm -hmm. there are sections of of ore bodies at other mines that have been essentially sterilized because uh, because of underground uh, self-heating that uh, just could not be controlled so so the client was concerned about it and they'd done some studies and those studies really followed the the traditional approach to looking at self-heating which is based on a a test that, uh, was, uh, I mean, it's loosely called the McGill test. It's, it was established by some, you know, some people that uh, were at McGill and, uh, is the most common standard that we know of for determining self-heating potential. And it, it essentially involves a calorimeter where you, you, uh, you put a, a, a pulverized sample in a container and you put in the, you know, the, the optimum moisture content and, uh, and supply it with oxygen and just see how much it heats up. Um, and based on that, uh, that test work uh, program, which I, I'm sure Brett will uh, will describe in, in much more and better detail, uh, essentially that, that test work indicated that this, uh, this backfill would have a problem. But, uh, but our client looked at the test results and basically said, well, the mitigation for this, this problem is it's, it's it's huge essentially it was using instead of two percent cement to to bind the paste together which is what was required from a strength perspective it was four percent to basically encapsulate all the individual particles with a, a cement coating and prevent that accessibility to uh, to oxygen and, and water that would start and maintain the reaction so going from two to four percent cement doesn't sound like a big deal but it's in the tens of millions of dollars each year in operating costs to do that. It's, it's a huge impact. So, so they basically asked us, can you take a look at this and see whether, you know, this is, this is it, do we have to do this or are there other, other methods? And so we theorized that because of the way the test is done, it's really meant for pulverized samples or concentrates that are uh, finely ground and are very accessible to oxygen and water. Uh, But in reality, yeah, Yeah. go ahead it's
0: more of an indicator test than a performance based test.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's looking at conditions that that are not quite representative of what, yeah. what we have in a, a piece backfill yeah. still where you have this big monolithic blob of, of cemented material that does not, uh, it has very low permeability does not allow oxygen and water to infiltrate through. So the theory was that because you didn't have all this, uh, this oxygen and water, uh, capable of infiltrating through to reach the, the individual particles, you would not get that same level of self-heating. And that's really what the whole test work program was about, was to, to test that hypothesis and either confirm or deny that, uh, that by, by using a different test method that more accurately represented the, the in-situ conditions, we could remove the requirement for all this excess binder that was solely required uh, to prevent
0: the self-heating. So so this is really interesting, but when I've been involved with the construction of large concrete foundations, there's a, a chemical reaction in the concrete as it cures the, the the heat of hydration, also an exothermic reaction. And so if you're in cold weather, you have to cover it up and maybe use heaters and blankets and that kind of thing. But if you're in hot weather, then you want to make sure that it doesn't get too hot so did, did you look into the effects of that heat from the sulfides on the strength of the concrete or oh, yeah, sorry that the, the cemented paste
2: yeah that's uh, I mean that that's kind of a standard thing that we do with paste backfill that the self-heating bit is a little bit unusual but mm-hmm. looking at at how the strength develops uh, in a in paste backfill mm-hmm. with varying amounts of cement with varying amounts of cure time. And with varying amounts of of water to cement ratio uh, that's kind of a standard thing Um, and that was done in parallel to this testing program just to see that the the amount of cement that we were adding uh, was suitable to obtain the strengths that we required for the you know for the underground mining yeah
0: okay well that's great
2: that's great and
0: uh let's talk a little bit about the geochemical part of this how did you how did you use your skills to help solve the equation?
1: Right. So Chris's team reached out to mine uh, in the geochemistry group. Really once this this problem, this concern became apparent that, you know, was this, this requirement to go to a 4% binder rather than a 2% binder, was that really necessary? And was the testing protocol that had been completed previously realistic and and asking that question of what could we do to to evaluate whether that's realistic and whether we could do some work to refine that understanding of, of realistic material behavior. Um, and so what we you know what we looked at was as as Chris described this existing test procedure. We identified these these concerns that Chris talked about a, l- a little bit earlier about you know really uh, you know small uh, crush materials. Um, really high surface area to mass ratios, um, high exposure to oxygen and, and water And so from a, a geochemical perspective that's that's just really all about you know the the reaction rates what are what's the reaction the rate of the reaction uh, rate of oxidation of the minerals that are present and so when we considered um, the underground disposal strategy which is in large monoth- monolithic blocks, um, you know, clearly you clearly have a very, very different situation where you have these large blocks with compare much lower surface area to mass ratios. Um, only the surfaces are directly exposed to oxygen and water and that um, rates of oxygen and water um, infiltration into beyond those surfaces is, is going to be limited But due to the um, cementation of the materials. Um, and so we we thought about what was what were the ways we could. Could simulate this, and and we passed a few ideas around back and forth with with our teams and with the client, and had some some great brainstorming sessions about how what, what innovative strategies we could look at doing this, and and we ultimately came up with um, building a an on site field scale test, um, which would be near full scale um, using shipping containers to simulate that underground environment huh. and um, mm-hmm. and really show. Um, Something close to the the real world conditions um, for for paste backfill deposition at the at the mine, and um, and try to simulate and the the small scale test, but at a larger scale, and and really those 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 size scale effects, and um, and mineral reaction rates um, were really the key to to better simulating the system
0: yeah that's uh, that's really good and I, I would imagine at first you were a little bit hesitant to to accept that the mcgill test wasn't uh the end all for this i mean it's a it's a standard test for that's been in place for a long time
1: yeah that's right
2: and, and there's a whole bunch of literature um you know talking about self-heating issues in mines in the past and it you know the literature wasn't really clear about whether whether or not the self-heating occurred in you know in in monolithic backfilled stopes. You know certainly areas that were monolithic, uh, you know, ended up getting pretty hot and were were in some cases sterilized because uh, because the area got uh, got too hot and and people couldn't get back into the area any longer. But wow. it wasn't clear whether that was because of you know, fine, fine particle material that's uh, like even just the ore fines. you know, the ore finds self heat as well, or whether it was uh, uh, of pulverized backfill from blasting next to a backfilled stoke. Um, it really, it was difficult to tell from the historical literature what what the the conditions were to cause self heating. So we were. Yeah, we certainly weren't sure going into it that self heating would or wouldn't be a problem. Um, and, and the test work program was, I would say, you know, when we were going into it, we were certainly unbiased about the, the outcome. We, we were hoping for the best, hoping for self heating not to be a problem, but there was definitely not a high level of confidence that it wouldn't be present at all. Yeah, no, that,
0: that's great. <laughs> yeah, you got to uh, not only completely ruin a shipping container, but you, you've saved a lot of resources too. Cement is a resource. Uh, so you yeah. Not, and not only save the money, but the resource as well.
1: And and what I'd like to add, Brian, about this, uh, the testing procedures, as 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 geochemists, our work and who are characterizing the expected environmental behavior of mine waste, we're very reliant through our work on on various lab testing procedures, which have yeah. been developed through all sorts of research studies applicable to different sort of sorts of situations. But what we find when we're working at different mine sites with different disposal strategies, different environmental conditions, is that those standard procedures. Uh, it, it's not uncommon for us to run into situations where the standard procedures aren't ideally suited to the conditions we're assessing. And so as a geochemist, that's, that's an important part of our job is to assess, does the lab test that you're considering using adequately represent the conditions that, you're, that you're, your site is, is going to have? And so that's, that's pretty typical for us to have to evaluate, does this accurately reflect it? And if it doesn't, um, how can we either modify that test? Um, calibrate those test results or alternatively consider a different test procedure to best represent those conditions and that's that's really an important part of of geochemistry work is um, for characterization of mine waste is to how can we we best represent that system knowing that we're limited to to these predictive testing procedures in a lot of cases
0: right yeah exactly and i'm always encouraged when people are thinking outside the box and you certainly have done that here. Is, is this now in implementation, or, or where does the project stand now?
2: Yeah, so they had have- uh, you know the the test work indicated that that uh, they could use lower binder contents than in the the previous studies, and and uh, I believe they're taking that forward. Uh, I'm not uh, involved in the in the current work that's going on, but uh, I believe they're they're taking that forward to the next level there, you know there there is as part of our our study there was a recommendation for monitoring and reconciliation of the of the test program results with the initial stoping operations just to you know do a final check to make sure that what we got in those large-scale tests was reflected in reality in the you know in the first stops that were taken in the in the mines so I, I, I understand from the project status that they're not quite at the stage yet where they've filled any stokes, but uh, uh, but I think it's coming soon.
0: Yeah, hopefully those are instrumented so that you can maybe write a companion paper about this on the the implementation of the of the the whole concept.
2: Yeah, yeah, it would it would be good to go all the way from the lab scale to the field scale to the you know the the real production level. Uh, yeah information just to see that it all you know it all jives yeah absolutely absolutely
0: yeah so where, where do we go from here what is the, i'm sure you're going to be implementing this at other sites as they come along
1: sure so i mean what we found through through our study that we ran where we we instrumented those shipping containers we simulated the the underground stope and and we really found that the materials weren't uh, at this site, using using the, their um, their uh, their paste composition and their uh, waste rock that was some of which would be in contact with that paste, um, we found that it w- the self-heating conditions didn't develop in our test. Um, but what we know is that this is highly site specific. The you know the mineralogical composition yeah. can vary considerably at one site to the next, and that relatively minor changes in that composition can have significant differences in material behavior. And so what we've what we've demonstrated here is that the is, is that the the lab scale test should be is use is still a great screening tool. Still it's still the step one. I, oh, I sure, wouldn't advise sure. that you you don't start there. But if you have results that suggest you have got a problem, it doesn't mean that has to be the end of the road and that now you have to take the most conservative approach. It says, okay, well we can take a step back and Look at do we believe this accurately simulates the conditions we have at our site, and um, and if we're concerned that it may be too conservative for the conditions at that at another site, then we've 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 got a test procedure now that we we ran it. Uh, we certainly had some some learnings uh, as we went through that process mm-hmm. about the, mm-hmm. the challenges and opportunities of of running this sort of test.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and and you know it would be great to to apply those learnings to to another site. To um, evaluate whether the um, that lab test, you know, is accurate for that site, or or whether it it is again too conservative, and and I would expect that at some sites would we, we would see similar results of being too conservative, but there would be certain materials where you, where you know that particular blend of uh, of of mine wastes and and mineralogy is you're just going to have that super high reactivity, and so. You have to carry out the testing, um, but now we, we have that protocol in place and the experience in place to be able to demonstrate that this has been done and and has provided answers. So that would be be great to be able to apply that uh, at another site.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. So in this case, the McGill test can raise a red flag, but just because the
2: flag's been raised doesn't mean that it has to remain raised.
1: Yeah, and, exactly. And
2: I think you know the the important point is that the McGill test is. Maybe not the only test that we do at the, yeah. the lab testing phase. You know, the I think uh, you know the, the the modification of the McGill test, which we have done, to essentially look at a non-pulverized sample. It's still a small sample. It's like a this, this the 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 contents of this this lab testing program is the, the volume is very small, but but it's a lot less reactivity and exposure to surface area. Is, than is it, when th- is it, is, is it
0: bigger or smaller than a hockey puck?
2: It's bigger than a hockey puck, but not by <laughs> much. You
0: know, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground today and I really appreciate the conversation, the contribution you guys did and presenting the, the findings too. I think that's one of the really important things in our industry is to share the knowledge so that people don't have to. Uh, reinvent the wheel every single time, and and save some money and resources for their clients. So I, I think that's a really good effort that you guys did.
2: Oh, good. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. Did Did you have anything else you wanted to to uh, share with us about the project or the presentation? Uh,
2: no, I, I think. I mean, we've we kind of covered the 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 intent and the the outcome of the of the project maybe the only other thing to add is that in conjunction with uh with our evaluation of self-heating of of the paste we also looked at well what happens if ore has been blasted and is right next to the paste which is a real world situation that you would mm-hmm. encounter in the yeah, mine for sure and you know does that heat up uh enough to to set off the reaction in the paste and Get it hot enough so it gets beyond the point at which it needs oxygen into that into that zone where it'll it'll self heat without oxygen being present, and and we found with those uh, uh, those field trials that uh, it it certainly increased the temperature when we had self heating ore right next to the backfill, mm. but uh, we didn't get to the point where it it got us past that uh, that threshold where the self heating of the backfill would would take off and, and have a life of its own. So that's, you know, if, if I could leave you with one final word on on this, you know, this testing is that you have to look at not just the 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 backfill part, but the interaction with the mining as well to make sure that that the, the stope scheduling and the 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 time that broken ore is next to the backfill isn't uh, isn't so so long that you actually run into a self-heating problem that's that's separate from the backfill, but which will impact the backfill if it gets it hot enough to uh, to be a, a self you know a self-propagating reaction on its own. All right, right. Interesting, interesting.
1: Yeah, and I'd just like to uh, mention the acknowledge our partners at Valley who were you know open to and a discussion about how to how to assess this problem and. And really take you take a you know a bit of a risk on on looking at a new procedure that we hadn't done before, and and support uh, testing that in the field and and support sharing that knowledge with the broader community. Like you mentioned, Brian, it, it's so important to be able to share this knowledge and be able to move forward in uh, in developing the, the standard of work around this this type of problem.
0: Yeah, that that's
1: great. That's
0: great. And guys, before we uh, part ways, is there any uh, Pearls of wisdom that you'd like to leave with us today?
2: Well, uh, you know that I, I guess the, the pearl of wisdom relevant to this—you know—this this, uh, you know, this, this topic—is uh, just take a look at standard practice and and uh, and try to find a better way to do things. There's—it's there, certainly comforting and easy just to just to jump into the rut and uh, and do the same thing that everybody else has done for. For decades, uh, but uh, but that doesn't necessarily move you forward. Sometimes you end up that that's the best solution, but but other times, trying something new, thinking thinking outside of the box, gets you further along. Uh, so so it's it's always I think a good idea to uh, to kind of step back and try to evaluate: is there a better way to uh, to do this rather than just going into autopilot and and doing the, the same thing again and again
0: yeah that's great just just because something's always been done one way doesn't mean that that's the right way from here going forward
1: and building on that thought this was a really common theme at tailings and mine waste this year was reaching across the table that managing mine waste is inherently requires a multidisciplinary approach and yeah, reach out to your colleagues in other disciplines and and find out what they can do for you. Because I know certainly, as I on this project, I learned uh, a lot about the work that Chris and his team did that I wasn't as familiar with before. And I'm sure um, I'm sure Chris would say the same thing, vice versa. And so we can learn a lot from each other, and we can learn about things that we didn't know that um, that your other team members can do. And so you know, having those discussions to find out how we can help each other, even where we think that we might know what the solution is. There's, uh, there's likely other ideas out there with people who have different training and experience.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Very, very good point. So guys, I, th- I think we'll wrap it up for now. I really appreciate uh, the, the time and, and uh, each one of these podcasts, I get to be just a little bit smarter and I appreciate that.
2: Okay.
0: Well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. And last time I looked, there was no link to the publication yet. So I'll check and see if there is. And if, if there is a link to it, I'll put that in the sh- what I call the show notes uh, for this episode.
1: Yeah, I don't think they've posted it publicly, but uh, typically they, they do a few months after the conference. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And yeah, it was great talking to you today, Brian.
2: Yeah, thanks. a yeah, similar a similar paper is actually going to be presented uh, uh, at the uh, the Mindful twenty twenty one conference, uh, so there'll there'll be another crack at it for people right. that are interested in uh, yeah
0: hearing good. about it. Good. Yeah, and I think the Mindful conference for this year just
2: occurred uh, maybe a month ago or so. Uh, well, that's the Paste conference uh, was about a month ago. Uh, the Mindfill conference has been delayed. It was, it was, it was uh, for, you know, early 2020, but, uh, but it, uh, well, sorry, mid 2020, but, uh, it's been delayed until 2021. It didn't happen at all. Uh, mm. This- mm. Shame.
0: Okay. Well, uh, with that, uh, guys, I appreciate your time and, uh, look forward to more conversation in the future and, and actually being able to read your paper.
2: Okay. Thanks, Brian. All right. Great. Take
0: care. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep
2: on rocking.